How's everybody doing today? Good. Well, uh, interesting things going on in the world. Have you noticed? I'm the only one? So Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 38. Now, um, we have been working our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday morning, but in light of some of the things that we've seen taking place in the world, we thought it would be good to take a few weeks and just talk about Bible prophecy. What does the Bible say? So two weeks ago, we started with Matthew 24, and Jesus has asked three questions. He's asked by the disciples, when will these things happen? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus takes two chapters to answer those questions. He talked about how there would be birth pains in the world that would become more and more intense as we get closer and closer. He talked about Israel becoming a nation, and that would begin that final generation. Of course, you know that that happened in 1948. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But then last week, we went through Ezekiel 36 and 37, which is two whole chapters that talks about how God would gather the people of Israel from the four corners of the earth and bring them back into their homeland. They would become a nation again. As we said, that happened in 1948. One of the things that, that we said was that the reason in World War II that Adolf Hitler was able to have six million Jewish people killed is because they weren't living in Israel. They were living throughout all of Europe, anywhere but Israel. After that, they become a nation. They begin to move back into their homeland. So we talked about that last week. Now, today, we are going to talk about one of the most fascinating Bible prophecies that all deals with the end times after Israel becomes a nation. And so we're going to look at that today. So I've asked you to turn to Ezekiel 38. And uh, this is so important, so fascinating, especially as we see things lining up on the the world scene. So there's so much to this. Uh, I'm going to read and make a few comments as we go. But please understand that there's a lot more. People write books on these two chapters. So there's a lot more. I want to give you just enough that that you're able to say, okay, I I get the picture. Hopefully, so you'll say, I want to study a little bit more. But but at least to give you um, enough to say, okay, there's something going on here. What we're going to look at today was considered by many in the church to be allegorical, uh, anything but literal, because for 2,000 years, people who study the Bible would say, there's no way that that could actually happen, and uh, we'll talk about that today, but it did. Are you at least interested? Good. All right. Well, there on your outline, we're going to talk about a coming war, which is still in the future in Israel. And so I put uh, Ezekiel 38, 8 there on your outline. It says, after many days, you'll be visited in the latter years. And and we'll uh, find where it says the last days. You will come into the land of those who've been brought back from the sword and gathered from many people. Israel becomes a nation again to the mountains of Israel, which had been desolate for 2000 years, desolate. And they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them deal safely, and we'll talk about that today. So today, chapters 38 and 39, as we talk about the last days, you want to write down, after Israel is back in their land. It says, after Israel comes back in their land. Still future for us today. And as I've said uh, each time, that Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation ceased to exist as a nation, and that happened in 70 AD, and for almost 2,000 years was not a nation. 
But in 1948, just as the Bible said, Israel became a nation again, and the Jewish people began to flood back into the the land of Israel, and that's still going on today, and we'll, we'll continue on. So Israel is back in the land. We saw that in chapters 36 and 37. Now we're going to pick it up in chapters 38, chapter 38. Um, And you want to underline a few things as we go. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face toward Gog, and I've underlined Gog, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. You want to underline Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Well, keep in mind that this was written 2,600 years ago. And so what you're going to find is that God is going to call these places by their original names, as they would be called way back when. And the reason for that is that names change over time. So for instance, in Russia, there was a town called St. Petersburg. When communism took over, they changed the name to, who knows, Leningrad, Leningrad. And uh, then ultimately they changed it back to St. Petersburg. You have Cape Canaveral here in our country, uh, which was changed to Cape Kennedy. So names change. So God always calls them by their ancient names, and we'll talk about that today. So there in your outline, let me, uh, we'll, we'll fill in some blanks here as we go. Son of man, set your face against Gog, and that's going to be the leader, the leader. This is going to be a man, a spirit, or a combination of, of both, of the land of Magog. Now, that's going to be what we would call the Soviet states, just the, the whole area of the Soviet states. The prince of Rosh, and I want you to write down Russia right there. We'll talk about that. Meshach, you want to write down Moscow, and Tubal, write down Tobolsk, and prophesy against him. There is um, some debate whether when it says Rosh that this is actually speaking of Russia. Some would say, you're just saying that it's uh, Rosh or Russia because Rosh sounds a lot like Russia. Well, um, some would say that, but that's not why we would say that this is Rosh or Russia. Uh, the, The external evidence that this is Russia is overwhelming. And if you're one of the people who wants to track that down, you can send me an email, I'll send you a Word document, and you can uh, look up some of the things. But, but the Bible realized that, um, the Holy Spirit realized that, that, when it, that there would be some debate as to whether this is Russia or not. So we're going to find a phrase in our study today. It's going to be mentioned three times, and it's going to remove all of the debate. So there on your outline... It says, Gog's location in reference to Israel, and we're going to find this phrase, the remotest parts of the north, which is where they're going to come from. And uh, so I want to put a map up if I can, and uh, you'll see Israel in the yellow. Does everybody see Israel in the yellow? So if you draw a line straight up to the remotest parts of the north, what country do you come to? Russia, Russia. So just all the way to the remotest parts of the earth. So that'll be important for our study. Now, again, this was considered allegorical for much of church history because this was written when Russia didn't even exist as a nation. Uh, It wasn't until about 1000 AD that in that area, they began to be known as the people of Rus, Rus. In Hebrew, it's about the time that that name became prevalent. 
And so Russia was, for the most part, uh, you know, kind of like a farming community, a farming nation. There were some tribes that were there. The tribes, you have Meshach and Tubal, and uh, those would be the early names of the tribes in that area. But it's only been in the last hundred years that Russia has become prominent on the world scene. If you were to go back 200 years ago and you were to say Russia's going to become a world leader in the last days, you'd look on and you go, how's that ever going to happen? But it did, and in the past 100 years. And you can check that out. That's, that's not hard to find. Well, verse 4, it says, I will, turn a, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army. And then I want you to underline horses and horsemen, underline that, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield. And that's going to be the armaments of all of them wielding swords. So when it says, I'll put hooks in your mouth and bring you out, it could be that Russia doesn't want to get involved in this, but it's going to be dragged into whatever's taking place. So Ezekiel is writing something 2,600 years ago. He's using language that, that would make sense to him. And uh, you want to keep that in mind. And then you ask yourself, if you were translating this into English 400 years ago, what words would you use? So I want you to notice something there in your outline where it says horses. The Hebrew word is sus, sus. And it comes from an unused root means to skip, underline that. Can be a horse as leaping, underline leaping, but also a swallow from its rapid flight. And so you can translate that as a crane or a horse. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 8, that word is translated as a turtle dove and a crane. Does everybody see that? So something that, that flies. So you could translate this. The word literally means leaper or flying. It means leaper or flying. So it was written 2,600 years ago, and the word there was leaper or flying, but it was translated into English 400 years ago. So if you were translating this verse into English 400 years ago, you'd probably say, Horses, horses, that's what it's talking about. Uh, today, we might say jets or helicopters. It's something that, because that, it describes a swallow or a crane as it flies. But then it talks about horsemen there on your outline. And the uh, horseman there on your outline is a, a steed. Now, this is a very interesting uh, definition. A steed as stretched out to a vehicle, not single nor for mounting, uh, also, by implication, a driver in a chariot, i.e., collect cavalry or horsemen. So, this word where it says horsemen just means that somebody is riding on something or they're driving something. That's what it, that's what it means. So, uh, this is considered to be a 2,600 year old uh, way of talking about modern warfare. So, we might look on, we wouldn't say horsemen, we might say tanks or some type of armored personnel carrier. So, because it just means to drive something or to ride on something. So if you were translating this into English 400 years ago, you would say, it's probably talking about horsemen, but, but that's not the idea. It's something that's driven is the idea. Does that make sense? Verse five, then it says, who's with this Rosh? Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, with all its troops, Beth Togarma, some of your Bibles will say House of Togarma, from the remote parts of the north with all its troops. You want to underline with the remote parts of the north with all its troops and many peoples with you, many peoples with you. So I want to put that map up again 
And uh, first of all, we notice there in your outline, it says Persia. Now, Persia, you want to write down Iran, Iran. Do you know that Iran was called Persia up until 1935? And in 1935, they changed the name. So most of us grew up hearing it called Iran, but it's Persia. Ethiopia and Libya, of course, that's down to the south, Libya down there, are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops. Some hold that Gomer is part of Turkey. Others hold that Gomer uh, is actually part of what we would say Eastern Germany. Gomer or Gomer knee from the ancient. So that, that's a possibility with all its troops. And the house of Tagarma. House of Tagarma is Turkey. It's just Turkey. And uh, nobody d- disputes that. From the far north and all its troops and many people are with you. It's interesting to me when you see the world scene right now, you have Russia, Iran, and Turkey all forming an alliance right now. I don't know if you saw this, but three weeks ago, Turkey was saying, we're not going to support Russia in the war. We're not going to let them have their ships come through our channels and all that. But as soon as everything happened, they said, yeah, we're, we're going to let them. And, and so they, you have Iran and Turkey and Russia all coming together right now. So in, in this current conflict, you, you see that, that Turkey is now siding with Russia. And then you notice who isn't listed. Go ahead and keep the map up if you could for a minute. What you notice is that Israel, the yellow, tiny little yellow country, the, the countries around it are not listed. You have Egypt to the south and Jordan and, and Lebanon. And so some people think that that means that they're not there, they're not part of the conflict, and that's certainly a possibility. However, um, this would be obvious that they would be part of the conflict because all of these countries, other than Russia, are completely Islamic. And so uh, it's, it appears to be talking about those that you wouldn't normally expect and, and so it leaves those out, but it does say many nations or many people with you. So some hold that that is the many peoples who are with you, the surrounding nations. But you wouldn't expect that Iran or Russia or Sudan or Libya would all be part of that. So it's, it's highlighting that. Well, we'll see. Well, verse seven, it says, be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you and be a guard. I've underlined the word guard. Have your Bible says it there for them. The word guard implies being a supplier. You're protecting, you're, you're giving them what they, what they need. So if the leader of Rosh, whoever that is, we would say Russia, and they're gonna come from the remotest parts of the earth, they're gonna have to become a world power in that last generation so that they could be a supplier or a guard to all of these other nations. And as you look on, they are a guard to all of these other nations, a supplier. So people would say, well, how could Russia ever become a guard or a supplier to any other nation? If you go back even just 200 years ago, they were not a major player on the world scene. Verses eight and nine. After many days, you will be summoned in the latter years, and you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. Those inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, and it was for 1,900 years. But its people were brought from the nations, from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. When it says that they are living securely, all of them, you have, they're brought from all the nations, and that happened in 1948, and it's continuing now. And uh, it had been a continual waste for 1,900 years, but it says they'll be living securely. Now, that's very interesting because some debate, what does it mean to be living securely? 
Have you noticed how many Islamic nations recently have decided to normalize relationships with Israel? And so it could be by treaties that Israel feels that they are now living securely because all of these ancient enemies have become their friends, so they think that's going to change. So in their minds, they might be living securely right now. Verse 10, and uh, verse 9, you will go up, you will go up, you'll come up like a storm, and you're like a cloud covering the land, you and all your troops, and many peoples with you. Verse 10, thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of, and you want to underline, unwalled villages. And I will go against those who are at rest and live securely, all of them living, and you want to underline, without walls and having no bars or gates. Uh, again, 2,000 years ago, every village had uh, a wall around it. That was your defense. Now we have radar. In Israel right now, there are some cities that have walls around it, but for the most part, it's, it's radar and treaties that they believe are protecting them. So as Ezekiel would look on at this at 2,600 years ago, he'd say, how would they have all of these cities and not have walls around them? How could that even happen? Well, we, we would understand that today. Verse 12, they've come out to, and it says, to capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited. Lots of emphasis on that. And against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods, who live however your Bible says it, at the center of the world. So once again, the places that were waste that are now inhabited, uh, gathered from the nations, they've acquired goods and cattle, so they've prospered, and Israel's a very prosperous country. But then when it says the center of the world, if you have a study Bible, it's going to, in the, in the margin, it's going to tell you the navel or the belly button, because that's what that word means uh, literally, the belly button of the world. The belly button is the center of the body. And from God's perspective, the Israel is the belly button or the center of the world. So everything revolves around that. Verse 13, we have those who are looking on at a distance. They're looking nervously and they're going to protest, but they're not going to get involved. So verse 13, it says, Sheba and Dedan, you want to underline that, and the merchants of Tarshish, with all of its villages will say to you. Now, my Bible says villages. How many of your Bibles say something like young lions? Okay, we'll talk about that. Young lions is probably a better translation. Uh, villages or young lions will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, and to capture great spoil? Uh, so they're... they're on the outside, they're questioning, they're protesting, what are you doing? But they're not gonna get involved. They're not gonna get involved. I put this there on your outline from the King James and it says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee. Now, the interesting thing in Hebrew, the word young lions is also the same word for villages. So depending on how your, your Bible uh, translators would translate that, they're on the outside and they're, they're protesting, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, very interesting, you have Sheba and Dedan. 
As we've been studying through Genesis on Sunday morning, you'll remember that when Abraham's wife Sarah dies, Abraham marries a lady named Keturah. They have six sons. Two of those sons are Sheba and Dedan. They move to the area that we would now call Saudi Arabia. So you want to write down Saudi Arabia. Isn't it interesting that Saudi Arabia right now is considered our ally? And then it says Tarshish. Um, it says Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions. Now, when you come to Tarshish, um, I hold that that's probably Britain. Some would hold that it's Europe, but it more specifically appears to be Britain. And if you, if you go online and you type in Tarshish as Britain or Britain as Tarshish, uh, there's a great deal of information, but I'll share with you why. Um, ancient writers talked about how Tarshish was a place that you would gather 10. They would go to Tarshish and they would gather 10. It was, it was an island country, and, uh, and the main thing that you would get from there would be 10, uh, a medal. Well, there on your outline, I put Ezekiel 27, and uh, you can look that up later, but it talks about how they brought 10 from Tarshish. And uh, when you look at the word Britain, Britain and its etymology there in your outline is a poetic name for Great Britain, comes from the Latin, a silver white alloy largely of 10. The idea is that Britain literally means land of 10. And uh, so the Phoenicians would go there and they would have to sail there wherever that was, and uh, they would obtain 10 from that. So it's, a, it's described as an island nation with a great deal of sea travel. So that verse again, it says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee. Well, again, as I said a few minutes ago, the word uh, for lions or villages is the same word in Hebrew. It just depends on how your translators chose to translate it. If you take it the idea as the King James does, that it's the young lions. Very interesting that if you look at Tarshish or Britain, the symbol of Britain has always been a lion. And uh, the young lions would then be considered the offspring of that, that country. So the offspring, the young lions of Britain, it's typically held to be Canada, the United States, and Australia. And uh, probably some more, but those would be the, the main ones. So those countries, if, if our understanding is correct, uh, they're saying, what are you doing? And they're protesting, but they're not getting involved. And it's interesting that the young lions, we would say, of Tarshish are not getting involved, and Saudi Arabia is not getting involved. And it's interesting that we're all allies right now. So they're protesting, but they're not getting involved. Why aren't they getting involved? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a few possibilities. It could be that the administrations of those countries is not pro-Israel, and that's, that's certainly a possibility. I think that the current administration would be described as not being pro-Israel. It could be that there has been a military defeat in such a way that those countries are no longer able to jump into and help Israel, and it could be that just those nations have lost their prominence in the world uh, in that last days so that they're not really somebody that can jump in. So there's some possibilities there. Well, verse 14, it says, he says, I will therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, 
Thus says the Lord, on that day when my people Israel, underline that, are living securely, will you not know it? Now, if this was 2,600 years ago, there's no way for the people to the remotest parts of the earth to know that, but they can know that today and probably only in the last 100 years. Verse 15, you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. You want to underline that. You and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, once again, same word, a great assembly and mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel, underline that, like a cloud to cover the land, and it shall come about in the last days. Does your Bible say last days? So last days that I will bring you against my land, God says, so that the nations may know me and I am sanctified when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. So God's purpose here is to make sure that the nations recognize that Israel really does have a God and, uh, and that God is intervening. But always pay attention in these chapters where it talks about my people Israel. They've come from all the nations. They come back into the land. It just drives that point home. And again, this has just happened since 1948 that Israel's done that. So we're getting very close and we're seeing these countries align. Well, verse 17, it says, thus says the Lord God, are you the one whom I spoke of in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years, my Bible says, that I would bring you against them? Is that really you? It will come about on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount in my anger. And in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I would declare that day that there will surely be a great earthquake, I've underlined earthquake, in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, the beasts of the field, the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down, the steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground." So there's going to be this great shaking when they come out against Israel. It appears, as you, you read through this, that that great shaking is going to be everywhere, but Israel is going to be preserved. It's not going to affect them. They're going to be saved through this. Well, verse 21, I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, God says, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So they're going to go into a confusion and start attacking one another, all of those nations. With pestilence, and I've underlined that word pestilence. Have we seen a pestilence in the last couple of years? I wonder if something's going to be released there, and uh, that would be part of it. And with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones and fire and brimstone. And I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make my, myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So when it talks about fire and brimstone being rained down on them, the question is, is that the old fire and brimstone or is that the new fire and brimstone? So write this down. It appears uh, that this is going to be something nuclear. And this is just a possibility and I'll share with you why. Uh, 
again, a hundred years ago, when people read this, they would say, well, this has to be allegorical. How could any of this even happen? Well, we'll, we'll look at it as, as we go. So verse, where am I at? Chapter 39. There's no break in the original manuscripts between chapters 38 and 39. It just continues. So verse 1 of chapter 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and drive you on and take you up from the, and you want to underline from the remotest parts of the north. He drives that point home so we don't miss it. And bring you against the mountains of Israel. And I put that there in your outline, the remotest parts of the north. So it's only been in the last hundred years that Israel became, I'm sorry, that Russia became a superpower. Uh, Historically, if you've studied Russia when it was under communism, they persecuted the Jewish people and the Christians. And it appears that at this point, judgment is now going to come on them. Well, verse 3, he says, I will strike down your bow from your left hand, and I will dash down your arrows, underline that, from your right hand. So this is in the last days. We underlined that when we came to it. This was written 2,600 years ago. But how would you describe this 2,600 years ago, what's going to take place in the last days? And again, how would you translate that into English 400 years ago when, when everything was still horse and chariot and, you know, buggies and all that? Well, a possibility here, and I want you to uh, underline or write this down. He says, I will knock down the bow. We might say launchers. A bow is just something that launches something. Out of your left hand and cause the arrows, we might say missiles, to fall out of your right hand. When it says arrows there on your outline, notice the definition. The Hebrew word there is chets. Uh, properly a piercer, an arrow, by implication, a wound, figuratively, of God, a thunderbolt, a shaft of a spear, archer, arrow, dart, shaft, staff, or wound. You can translate that word any, any of those ways. The idea is this is something that flies through the air, is, is the idea. So when you read the verse, they try to launch something, but when they try to launch it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, verse 4, it says, You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you, and I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who, you want to underline, inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. And this is why I pray that this takes place after what we would call the rapture of the church. When it talks about raining fire on the coastlands, in ancient Hebrew, they didn't have a word for other continents or other nations you know, across the sea. They just said coastlands. There on your outline, a coastland just is a habitable spot as desirable, dry land, a coast, an island, country, isle, or island. So it's, it's somewhere far away, across the water, somewhere. And it says that they live in security or, or in safety. The idea is that they're probably thinking 
those things only happen in the Middle East, but they don't happen here. And on that day, they're going to be surprised, which is why I'm hoping and praying and trusting that this is after the rapture. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't want to be here for that. So verse seven, I'm going to read a few verses here. We're going to underline as we go and make a few comments, and then we'll work back through it as we wrap up. So verse seven, it says, my holy name, I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. So he says, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and this is for my people. It's for my name. And you're going to see this. Everybody's going to see this take place. Well, 100 years ago, when it talks about everyone's going to see this take place, you would look on at that and you'd say, well, how is that going to happen? But right now, I, I'm willing to bet that most everybody here has a smartphone. And we can, we can watch it typically in, in real time. And so, so this is the first generation where this could actually happen. Well, verse um, 8, behold, it is coming and it shall be done. You want to underline that? Declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken does not appear to be allegorical, mystical, spiritual. He says, this is just going to happen. Verse nine, then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out, and you want to underline, make fires with the weapons and burn them, both shields, bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears. For seven years, they will make fires of them. We'll talk about that. Verse 10, they will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest. Now, keep in mind, Ezekiel's looking at this 2,600 years ago. It's an end times thing. For they will make fires with the weapons, and they'll take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. So all these nations are going to come out, but that's going to be to Israel's benefit. On that day, I will give Gog a burial a burial ground there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by the east, underline, who pass by the east, and it will block out those who would pass by. And uh, in my margin outside, I wrote the word downwind, downwind. It's going to block that off, what's, whatever's downwind. So that they will bury Gog there with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Haman Gog, which just means the horde of Gog. For seven months, you want to underline, seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of the land will bury them, and it will, it will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord. They will, very important, underline, set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who are passing through even those left on the, you want to underline, surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. End of seven months, they'll make a search. We'll talk about that. As those who pass through the land pass through, if any man sees a bone, then he will set up a marker. You want to underline that by it. Until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Ham and Gog. And even the name of the city will be Hamona, uh, so they will cleanse the land, or the city, or the multitude of Gog. So a, a few moments ago, I said, this appears to be something nuclear. Well, very interesting, and you want to write this down. Number one, 
the weapons will supply enough energy for seven years. We saw that in verse 9. Those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out, make fires with the weapons, will burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows, arrows, war clubs, spears. For seven years, they will make fires of them. This does not appear to be conventional weapons, that they're able to use the energy for, for seven years. Once this happens, they'll have to wait seven months. And you'll write that down. They wait seven months. Uh, possibly due to radiation, nobody can go in for seven months. And so we see that in verse 14. They will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who are passing through, even those who are left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. So they're going to wait seven months before they do anything. But then we find once they do, they're going to be burying for seven months. Well, that's going to be in verse 12. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. So they'll be burying for seven months. We're also going to notice that when they do this, they're going to use professionals. You want to write that down. It'll be the professionals who come in and do the burying. Verse 14, they will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who are passing through. And uh, if you have the King James or uh, American Standard little translation, it would say there in your outline, men of continual employment. Uh, if you have the NIV, it says uh, men who are regularly employed. How many of your Bibles say men who are regularly employed? That just means that this is their job to go through and to bury these. So that's very important. But you have these professionals going through, but then number five, you want to write down, you don't touch the bones, you mark them. You want to write that down. Verse 15 as those who pass through the land pass through, if anyone sees a man's bone, then he will set up a marker by it until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. So the idea is that if you're not one of the professionals, but you see somebody's bone out there, you don't touch it, you just put a marker. You mark it, but you don't touch it. When I was in the Army, we went through continuously what was called NBC training. How many of you were in the Army or the military, you remember NBC training? Nuclear Biological Chemical. And so the idea is if you went through an area that had been hit by a nuclear strike, you were taught that you do not touch any bones that you see because they would be radioactive. But what you did was you put a marker next to it so that when the guys come in with the hazmat suits, they're the ones who take care of it but you don't touch it, you just mark it. Does that make sense? So um, did, did you find that at least interesting today? Very interesting time in which we live in. Now, I'm gonna let you read from chapter, uh, verse 17 to the end. What you'll find is this creates a revival in Israel. Not a revival in that they run to Jesus, but a revival in the sense that they recognize that the God that was talked about throughout the Bible is actually with them. They're going to recognize that God did something here. It's interesting to me when you look at the world scene, and even 50 years ago, people would say that's never going to happen. Uh, but you have Iran and Turkey and Russia joining in an alliance. And so here you have 2,600 years ago, 
laying out these Islamic nations saying that they're going to come together in the last days in that time period. Also interesting that you and I live in the only generation where there is the potential where weapons can be used to provide energy for seven years. Uh, That's never happened before, but it's happening now. It's also interesting that you and I live in the only generation where you would have to mark the bones and not touch them and let the professionals come in and deal with them. Uh, and, And it's the only generation where we've ever seen anything like that. So I don't think that we are weeks away from this conflict taking place. There are those who are saying that this is ushering this battle in the Ukraine, and the next step is they're going to come down into Israel, and this is going to happen probably in the next couple of weeks. I don't see that. I do see that all of these things are lining up, and we're getting closer and closer and closer as every day goes forward. But again, I don't see this happening in the next couple of weeks. And that's where you say, praise the Lord. But I don't know that it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks either. (laughs) But I pray that it doesn't. But you're going to see Bible prophecy unfold before your very eyes. How many of you have never gone through that teaching before today? Good. So you found it at least interesting? There's so much more people write books, but I wanted to give you enough that you can say, okay, I get the picture, but uh, again, there's a lot, lot more. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. If uh, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, now is a really good time, really good time. So as we close in prayer, you have that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as we wrap this up today. Lord, as we've been taking a couple of weeks to look at Bible prophecy, and here, here's what we pray. First of all, for those of us who have not known you, we look to you and we say, Lord, there's something amazing about this book, and so I want to know the God of this book. And so we just say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done. I want that relationship with you. I'm inviting you to come in and to save me. I want that. I want to be yours. And if you pray that today, he promises that he will never leave you. Father, as we go forward, those of us who are seeing some of these things, we pray that as we go forward, that we would be a light shining in what is becoming a a continuously darker world and help us, Lord, to reach the people around us for you as we recognize that time is short and we're getting very close to you coming for your church. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.